0: You may remember uh, at the beginning of this year, I asked you to give me a slip of paper with three things on it. The first was the easiest, that's your name. Uh, and, uh, you know, I noticed some of you had checked your uh, driver's license when I got to that part. But um, then I asked you to also put down something that you were thankful for from last year, something you were thankful for in 2018. And I asked you also to put down something I could pray about for you in 2019. I received 42 slips of paper, um, you know, from people uh, telling me telling me these things. And what I did with them, some were handed to me, some were put in the offering plate, and I just put them all together, stacked them up, and we have a heavy-duty stapler in there that staples lots of pages together. And I stapled them together in the corner, and I have been praying for those things, those things that you have shared with me. um, I've been praying for them at least once a week. I, I work through praying through those at least once a week, uh, you know, flipping through that individually. And it's just been a great thing. I shared with you when we started this series, one of the things I've enjoyed has been rejoicing together as this, as this passage, as Philippians tells us to, to rejoice together. And I've been able to do that as I've been praying through some of those with you. Um, but one as i was working on the sermon this week is again one kind of stuck out to me and stood out to me uh Jenna Napier's note to me happens to be number 33 you know in in the list here as as i'm flipping through them hers is is the 33rd one uh out of all of them now besides being Tony's wife uh, Jenna also is a great mother to uh their four children uh and she homeschools them and also encourages them in, uh, in their pursuit of different activities that they're involved in uh and uh, Elena's violin lessons and uh, and uh she does some it's not scouts but something like that and you know and the different things that the kids are involved in and Jenna's you know very much involved with them on that uh she teaches one of our Sunday school classes here and uh, she also participates with the ladies on the Wednesday night Bible study. Now, in her spare time, um, she also uh, she also started a business. She began a business uh, doing and selling some products that she makes with essential oils. Now, she wrote her prayer request that that it's for wisdom in making decisions regarding her business and her scheduling with the new baby due in August in particular and some of the challenges there. Well, about a month and a half after I began praying through um these things, my daughter in law Jessica came and told me, you know, that um that Jenna was expecting another baby. You know, she told us that Jenna had talked about that at Sunday school. And I said, Whoa, it's really made my day. Uh you know, you may have caught on that I really enjoy, you know, babies and having babies and just so just another reminder, there's, you know, still plenty of room for any of the others who want to um, add to that. Well, then a couple days after Jess had shared with me, you know, about uh, Jenna sharing with the Sunday school class about expecting another baby. I'm going through the the, the prayer list and I see on there that Jenna mentions, you know, right there uh, that I I had already been praying about this baby for like six weeks. And uh, but but my my attention was focused on you know God guiding Jenna about the decisions uh, regarding the baby and I you know and I, I can't believe it, but you know those some of the other dots weren't really clicking and so I'm reading this and I thought yeah, she's having a baby you know and it, you know I just, how cool you know we're having another baby uh, uh, you know and so as I read through the request and I realized that you know once again it just it just um, I got to rejoice all over again uh, but it was a reminder to me. That sometimes we don't see these things that are right in front of us. You know, here I'd been praying for, you know, for Tony and Jenna, you know, for these these you know, six weeks or so at least on on that, and uh, uh, just kind of overlooked that part, and I was looking, you know, at, at another part. Uh, there's three realities that are right before us that we can overlook in regards to our walk with Christ and our rejoicing in our walk with Christ. Uh, You know, three realities about that relationship with God. And then when we see them, or really, for some of us, it'll be when we see them again, you know, or begin to pay attention to them, um, then we can rejoice. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into our passage today where these things were just kind of revealed to me once again. Father, thank you uh, for who you are and your love for us. When, when, we, when I think about the, the fact that you, the God of all creation, love me. And I know the things that I've done. And I know some of the junk that goes through my head. And yet you love me. Don't always grasp that as well as I should. I don't always live in that reality. I don't always let that be the guiding factor in my life as much as it should. Today we're going to look at your word and we're going to be reminded once again of some of the things you have done for us, some of the ways in which you have given us things in which we can rejoice so open our minds and our hearts to you that your word would indeed teach us that your spirit would minister that our hearts would be quickened once again uh, to see the things of god not just in these pages but more importantly in our life help with that we ask in christ's name amen we're going to be in philippians chapter 2 uh, Philippians chapter 2 today. Uh so if you want to turn there, page 1081. I'm going to um again read parts and we're going to go uh, through it now. You know we we say you know Philippians chapter 2 here but the chapter divisions were really added centuries after the bible was written you know the the um, chapter divisions are not inspired by god in the same way that the scriptures are uh, it was in the 1500s actually that chapter divisions were added to the books of the bible and why do i say that i say that because sometimes we close a door you know when we get to the end of the chapter we mentally can sometimes close a door and we start a new chapter ah new chapter You know, and uh, like it's a chapter in in a book that we we read where the author intentionally uh, brings some things to a conclusion in one chapter and then goes on to the next. When Paul was writing this, it was one letter and it flowed right on from what had come before. So what I really want to do is back up to chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, That's where I'm going to begin reading because chapter 2 flows right out of what he was already saying, and you know, because we may have forgotten some of that, let's just back up to chapter 1 verse 27. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Just one, one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way and having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others." Now let's just look at these verses for a moment here. Uh, you know, when you're looking, when you're facing struggles, you have to intentionally look for what he lays out here. You have to intentionally look for love, fellowship with the, with the Spirit, affection, and mercy. He was talking about the struggles. He was talking about, you know, the, the battles that are there and, and the struggles that go on and the suffering that goes on. And right into that then, right into that is where he tells us then, You know, if there's any, you know, any love, fellowship, affection of the spirit, you know, any, any fellowship with the spirit, affection, any mercy. So we need, you know, when we're facing those struggles, we need to intentionally look for these things. Because when we're struggling, you know, when we are struggling, we get consumed by the struggle. And that's our natural focus. Our natural focus becomes the struggle. But he says, if there is any, you know, it, it, it gave me the idea of, you know, look, is there any of this there? Is there any, is there any love, fellowship with the spirit, affection and mercy? You know, the, you know, the situation, the struggle will not bring encouragement. It will not bring comfort. It, you know, it, it won't bring those things. It doesn't. That, I mean, that's why it's called a struggle. That encouragement, you know, when he uses the word encouragement, it means, you know, a calling to one side. You may have heard, uh, you know, when, uh, when Jesus is talking about the, the, the Holy Spirit, and he refers to him, you know, as that, the, in, in Greek, it's a paraclete. Uh, this is the same the same uh, base word that this comes from, you know, a calling to one side. It, it's an, in, it, it, you know, it, it is an encouragement here, you know, an encouragement in Christ. So the direction is to draw closer to Christ To draw to his side. You know, to draw, you know, that we draw to his side. We want to, you know, what we want to do is maybe crawl in a hole. Or crawl back into bed. Because, you know, this this just stinks. But he says, instead, draw close to Christ. If there's any encouragement, if there's any coming alongside in Christ... You know, come alongside him. And he says, any consolation of love. You know, if there's any consolation of love, you know, that, that's, the, the word consolation means persuasive talk. As in comforting words. You know, that, it's, it's not coming from the struggle. You see, it's not coming from the struggle. It's not coming from what causes the struggle. Because those, that's, that's the struggle. He says, if there's any consolation of love, you know, that, that word love there is you know that word agape—that that, that that giving, that giving love, that love, that self-giving. It has—it's an action, not a feeling. It, it, you know, it, it's a totally unselfish. It's a love. It's actions that have that are for the betterment of the other, with no regard for return. It's not something that is earned. You know, this is the love that God has for us in Christ. It's in John three sixteen, for God so agape the world, God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, his only begotten son. He gave them so that whoever believes in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. Why? Not because we've earned it, but because of that, that love It's not found in the struggle that you're in the midst of. The struggle you're in the midst of sucks the life and too often the love right out of us. That's when we need the love the most. But it just pulls it right out of us. This uh, past Thursday, Pastor Kent and I had a meeting in Warsaw with a group of pastors and one of the pastors <clears throat> uh having some back issues, he blew out a disc or something. And uh he so he it was uncomfortable for him to sit, so he stood, which was still uncomfortable but um a little more comfortable than sitting. And I was talking to him about it and I said, you know, Ginny had twice had that and um, you know, had had the surgery and it went well. And he says, Well I'm glad to hear that I said, But I said well, one of the things that I remember, you know, particularly the first time is when she blew that out and you could see it, not the, the bulge. You could see in her countenance she was in pain. It was uncomfortable to sit. It was uncomfortable to stand. It was uncomfortable to lie down. It was uncomfortable to be awake. You know, there was no comfort coming from the situation. You know, and I told him. I said, well, you know, after the surgery, I said you know, it was, it was kind of you neat. Know, I, I had my wife back. You know, I said it's just, you know, that that return. The situation is not going to produce. You see, that's why they call it struggles. That is not going to be what gives us the joy. That is not going to be something that we can rejoice in. What you do is you look for, you know, you look for that, what, what he's talking about. This is where the fellowship of the Spirit comes in. You know, he talks about that fellowship of the Spirit. God most often brings these graces into our life, this love, fellowship, affection, and mercy through other people. He most often works these through other people. You know, it it seems God, that, that, that God chooses, that's God's choice. And he has chosen to work through people to remind us and show us and touch us with the love of God, the love that has transformed their life. And then they can reach out to us and and help us. And this is what, this is how he, how he's talking about. And here he tries to pull us away from being consumed by the struggle. Notice verse two, he says, fulfill my joy, thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on this one goal, rather than being consumed by the struggle, (coughs) rather than Letting that, you know, be what dominates us. Begin thinking of what comes from that fellowship with the Spirit of what comes because we have this connection with Christ because we have this connection to God through the fellowship of the spirit and begin thinking about what we have there it is an intentional redirecting of your thinking on things toward God an intentional uh, redirecting of, of, of the thinking it, it comes up again you know it's going to come up again later as we as we're going through this in in, uh, in chapter 4 of uh, verse 8 you know it's that same it's that same thing you know we're going to get into it more when we get to that but he says finally brothers whatever is true well, whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any moral excellence if there's any praise dwell on these things that intentional redirecting of our thinking instead of being consumed by the struggle remembering that we have this you know that we have this this fellowship with the spirit we have love that the the what what god has has told us You know, because we're connected on many levels, in many ways, that mutual relationship with Christ Jesus, you know, that connection in Christ is what unites us in our goal to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And God tells us, verse 3, do nothing. Then do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You know, you do nothing, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. We are not in competition with each other. We are not in competition with each other. Do nothing Not one thing out of rivalry and conceit. God loves us because he is God. Not because we're better than someone else. He loves us because he is God. Not because we have earned it. Not because we have done something. We have sinned. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves us because he is God. Not because we are worthy. But because of who he is. And because of what what he has done. Do nothing out of rivalry or concessions, but in humility. In humility. This speaks of our opinion of ourself. Uh, You see the the definition there. Uh, uh, It's a, a deep sense of one's moral littleness. That's how one of the definitions I came out. It's in the light of God, not as comparing yourself to someone else. You see, it's seeing God of who God is and realizing that again, we are loved because He is God, not because we're worthy. It is seeing more of who God is. Something that I read, one of the things I was reading, it said, humility comes from doing even the simplest task to honor God. That gives a task dignity and purpose. Thus, no task is beneath us. I thought, what a great, what a great picture there. Realizing more and more who God is. He says, in humility, consider others more important than yourself. In humility, We can be consumed by the problem. What he is doing is he is saying, intentionally begin to redirect your thinking and intentionally begin to know that if there's any love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, you know, do these things, he's saying. Do these things. And one of the things he says is to consider others more important than yourselves. A fulfillment really, what he 's saying is fulfill the second greatest commandment, the second greatest commandment when Jesus was asked, you know what what is it? what is it that's you know, out of all the commandments you know uh, uh, one of the teachers came up to him and said, of all the commandments of everything there is of all this whole all this law, all this stuff we have what 's the most important? what is the one thing? I remember being asked a question one time it was you know after uh, I forget which year of school it was, I was thinking it was my first year of school. Um Randy Bultima, uh, the guy who really, uh, was, uh, you know, a huge impact in my life, you know, my mentor, uh, and uh, you know, he's, you know, he asked me, he said, he said, Pat, he said, all the classes you had and everything, he said, what's the one, what's, what's the one thing you really learned? What's one thing that stuck out? And I thought, ooh, ooh, you know, one thing. You know, and here, you know, here he's, you know, here he's telling us, he's asked, Jesus has asked, what's that one thing? And what does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then he goes on. And the second, he says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. These are the two, he said. He said, you love me. And, it, and, and really, if you love God as you should, Part of that is is lovingness, is loving others, is doing what he says here, consider others more important than yourselves. He says, you know, look out not only for your own interests, you know, not only for your own interests. So what, what he's saying is, you, you know, you don't ignore yourself because here's, you know, here's one of the realities, you know, is we need to keep our walk with God in shape, we need to keep that a priority. We need to keep our walk with God a priority so that we can minister to others. Not so that we can ignore others, but so that we can minister to others. We can't excuse our own lack of growth in pursuing God is because we helped others. No, no. He says, you know, you need to, you, you need to be growing in God. You need to be growing in Him yourself. You need to, you know, you need to, you know, look out not only for your own interests. In other words, you need to make sure you're growing in God first. I don't know if you saw there's an article in the news yesterday and things like this attract my attention. Um, A cruise ship somewhere. Um, The motor broke and uh, they're evacuating 1,300 people off of this ship. And they're doing it uh, by helicopter because it's in a storm. And they posted some video of some of the, the yeah, said it would be like, just kill me now. Uh, you know, they posted some video of this ship tilted. it had, the, the motor's not working, and it's in a storm, and it's just kind of getting blown around. So they have to pl- pluck these people off the ship by helicopter. And it says, so then what's happening is they're lowering, a I thought, well, land a helicopter on the ship. And then you see this video, and it's like, yeah, that ain't happening. They said in the article what they're doing is they're lowering a basket down to the ship and these people are getting on a basket and then it plucks them off and it flies them, you know, in this storm with the wind blowing and that, I'm not a good swimmer. You know, like, I die. I mean, that it, it would be. A, they said they can't lower the lifeboats because the seas are too rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not somebody who. You know, I would never be. All my. All three of my kids. Jenny and I wanted them to learn to swim, and I wanted them to learn to swim well because I couldn't. And if we we're ever on a boat together and went down, I wanted them to save me. That's certainly part of the. That's certainly partially true. You know, but but uh you know. If somebody's in the water and needs help, I'm going to go help them, you know, if, if my my grandkids or anything are there. But, you know, the sad thing about it is you're going to be going to two funerals, mine and whoever I was trying to rescue. Because I'm not, I you know, I'd be lucky if I could save myself out of the water. We need to make sure we're in shape spiritually in our relationship with God. So that when we come across someone, you know, my point you on this to you? So if we come across someone who's struggling, that we can help them instead of going down with them. Paul said, I, th- I think it's in Galatians. Kent will correct me later if I'm if I'm wrong. Uh, you know uh, that you know w- that you you help one another, uh, but be careful. You know, be careful so that you also won't be tempted. It's Galatians uh, is that good? Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, we, we you know we we need to keep ourselves. He said, not only not only for yourself. You have to be aware of others, so you don't have the excuse, "I didn't grow because I was helping them," and you can't have the excuse, "I'm not helping them because I'm working on myself growing." Um, you know, we we can't excuse it. We need a balance. Of, a, of attending to our own spiritual growth. That means you're spending time in the Bible. That means this is not the only time you open the Bible, that this is not the only time that you read the Word of God this week, that you're investing in that, you know, that you're, that you're putting something into that. Uh, you know, we need that balance there so that we can help others. That's part of spiritual growth. Now, to actually help others is the point as well. And you're going to know the difference, you see, as you are keeping yourself in shape spiritually you're going to know the difference and we're actually helping someone or not giving something to someone you know, just so they quit bugging us or just so that they'll think better of us. The goal isn't to have them think better of us. The goal is to have them think better of God so that they can have a relationship with him. And all of this you know, goes in, into something that we need to realize while we're in the midst of the struggle so we can rejoice. Realize the connections with others in Christ. Realize your connection with others in Christ. We will be swallowed up by the struggle when we think we're alone. When we think we're alone, we will be swallowed up by the struggle. The struggle will beat us down. Realize your connection with others in Christ. Let's go on, verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we're actually going to come back to these verses on, on Easter as I was reading and studying this, and I thought, man, we're just never gonna, but I, Here's the one point, and then, and then we're going to move on. Realize the attitude of Christ. Realize the attitude of Christ. The first thing was, you know, realize your connection with others. Here I'm saying, you know, realize the attitude of Christ. Jesus didn't use the powers that he had every right to use. He did not use those. Instead, he laid them aside. He didn't, you know, he, did, now, he didn't do that because it was fun. He did that because we needed forgiveness. He did what we see here, you know, that attitude of Christ, he did it because we needed forgiveness. More on that in four weeks. Verse 12. Follow along. Verse 12. So then, my dear friends, just as you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world, hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in this day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now we need to we need to address the end of verse twelve. Uh the end of verse twelve he says to work out your own, you know, your own salvation. He says to work out not work for huge difference there. It's a huge difference. You know, he says that we're to work out our own salvation, not working for your own salvation. You don't work for salvation. You don't work for this. It is something that God gives us and grants to us. But he goes on, he says to work out. You know, that, that whole thing there of working out is to work for full completion. This is what he's talking about there. That's what it means. You know, that we should be getting better at living like we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We should be getting better at that. Getting better at living it out. We should be increasingly guided by our relationship with Christ Jesus. Increasingly guided. It should more and more become our default response. That more and more, when something happens, that our default is then in line with our relationship with Christ, instead of, instead of what, you know, what we may have used to have been. It's, it's, you know, becoming more and more like Christ that transformed because of our relationship with Christ. Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. In other words, this is your response to God. This should be your response to God, you know, that you're doing this. He goes on, he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is worded as stop being conformed to this age. This is how it's worded in in the Greek. He's saying, stop doing this. Quit being conformed to this age is what he's saying. One of uh, J.B. Phillips translates this. You know, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the pressures of this world cause you to be. It says to stop doing that. Stop letting this world. Be the one that that forms you into the person you are. He says, instead, you know, you commit to a continuing transformation. Continually being transformed is how it's worded. That you are being, being transformed. That that is what's going on in your life, a growing, renewing, continual practice of what's happening. Paul says, you know, to us in, in verse 13, back in Philippians, he says, for it is God who is working in you. It is not all our own effort. Yes, we put in our time. Yes, we try to put in our time. That sounds bad. Yeah, you know, yes, we work. Yes, we put forth an effort, but that God transforms us. We put ourselves in the way of blessing, if you will. We put ourselves in the way of where God can transform us and work us. God is working in us to mold us more and more into his character. We need to quit fighting against God. We need to quit fighting against him. We need to yield to his, to his leading more and more in our lives. It is God who is working in you. The the word means to put forth power, to be operative, to be active. God is putting forth the power. God wants to be operative. God wants to be active. God working enables us to grow. It enables us to be transformed. That's where he goes on and he says, you know, to desire. That's a transformation, a desire. The word means thinking, deciding, setting your mind and motivation. Some of the translations say to will, you know, that, that he is to will. It's addressing our desires. It's addressing those desires that motivate us is what he's talking about here. And he says to work out your salvation, work out. It, it gets beyond thinking and deciding. This is, means actually taking actions based on those decisions that you claim to have. That you're not just talking about it, but that you're living it out. Renewing the mind leads to right thinking and right action. Not one or the other, it's both. Both of those things. He says, you know, that it is His, it is His good purpose. It's not our own ideas. It's His good purpose of what is best. Not our ideas of what is best. His knowledge of what is best. We only have an idea of what the best choice is. God has the knowledge of what the best choice is and knows which way it should go. And he tells us, do everything. That's pretty all-inclusive. What falls outside of everything? Well, that would be nothing, in case you were wondering. It would be, do everything. And he says without grumbling you know, without without grumbling or arguing the grumbling, you know, if you think about it, that the, the the grumbling, the complaining about this violates this. I mean, think about that, you know. Now the grumbling, it can be something that we do by ourselves. It can also be something, you know, we do with others. You know, he says that, you know, without grumbling, without arguing, some of the translations say disputing. That involves another person, you know, that, you know, we either do this with another human or we do this when we argue with God about what is best. When we argue and dispute with God about our relationship with Him. You know, now, don't confuse happiness with obedience. Don't 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 confuse those two. Too many people strive for happiness, and we make ourselves miserable working for happiness. Obedience, obeying, does not always make you happy. I do not like stopping at red lights. They are in my way, particularly at 2 a.m. But it is important to stop at red lights. And I've been at red lights at 2 a.m., and I'm the only one there. And it's like, seriously, people? Seriously, couldn't I just go, here's the problem, you know, and here's the importance of obeying them, even when it seems like it doesn't matter, Here's the importance, because you see what happens is when we begin to disobey things, when we think it doesn't matter, you know what begins to happen? We begin to think more and more that it doesn't matter. That's not only in traffic laws, you know, that, 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 that just carries over in everything. We begin living more and more, you know, like, like it, it just doesn't matter. When we begin not to obey, we find it easier and easier not to obey, you know, in, in more and more areas. Look what he's saying here. He says, verse 15, he says, to live blameless. That's, that's the word. It means deserving no censure, free from fault or defect you know that 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 you're blameless nobody can make an accusation that sticks he says or pure we looked at this a couple of weeks ago i didn't put the definition up there just unmixed it's it's a word they use in the refining process of getting the junk out you know and, and pulling the slag and the garbage off uh, this is what it is pure unmixed with absence of foreign mixture you know, of the mind, it's, it's out, without being mixed with evil. He says, we're faultless. You know, faultless. Morally without blemish is what the word means. That we're morally without blemish. He says, crooked. You know, that word crooked, I find it interesting. It means curved, perverse, wicked. You know, and then he the word, you know, in this, in this perverted generation. You know, perverted. To distort, to twist, to turn aside. Here, look at those definitions. Here's the deal. Little things do matter. Little things do matter. You know it matters. It's a, you know it, it, this, if, if there's just a little twist in your car frame, guess what? You're going to be all over the road. You have a you have a car accident and and they hit it and they twist your frame. What do they do? They total the car. Why? Because that is unsafe. Because it is dangerous. But it's just a little thing. It's still got four wheels. Still goes. It's only on three every once in a while and it bounces back to the other one. Yeah, but. It, it, Little things do matter. You know, this is what he's talking about. Little things do matter. That, you know, you're blameless, pure, faultless. You know, you know, in this cricket, perverted. You know, it matters. He says, here's the difference. You are children of God. Our connection to God should be the dominant factor in our living. Our connection to God should be that dominant factor in our living. Our values, you know, even our attitudes, they're not to be set by the world, but rather by our relationship with God. There is a sharp contrast with the values of the world. I don't want to break your heart, but you need to realize, you need to understand, without a doubt, you need to understand, we do not live in a Christian nation. Do you understand that? You can say, Well, it was start, you know, it was founded in that crowd. That's not, I'm not talking about how it's founded. I'm talking about the world we're living in right now. We live in just what it says right here, in a crooked and perverted generation. That's what we live in. Look at what we're fighting about and what laws we're fighting about. About whether or not you can kill a baby that's that's born alive because his mother intended to have an abortion. And there's a debate in our country as to what we would do That's only one example. But it shows the values that are on display. You say, well, it's not my values. But it's the values that are being debated in the highest parts of our country. Do you understand we do not live in a Christian nation? We live in a nation that has some Christians, for which I am extremely grateful. And yes, we should be having an influence. But you see, our, our our connection to God should be the dominant factor in our life because you are not going to get it from the nation. You are not going to get it from the society. You are not going to get it from anything but from God. Our lives are to be different. He says, you know, that you, you are there, you know, you you live in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Our relationship with God as his children is to clearly show in all we do, in all our living. It's to very clearly show in how we live our life. It's not easy. That's why we're told to hold firmly. In verse 16, hold firmly you know, to the message of life, You know, to observe, to attend to. You hold firmly, you know, to the thing when, when, when the way is rough. Uh, I was watching the, the video, of you know, that, from that ship that they're abandoning people off of, and the thing, that it tips, and, and it was a picture that was looking out through the windows. I've seen these pictures, these things before where they showed on a ship. But they're, they're in the room, and the room's tilting, well, so is their camera, and it just looks to me like the furniture, you know, like a poltergeist, you know, and the furniture is moving back and forth all by itself. Well, in this particular one, it was showing out through the windows, and so you could see the sea, and you could see not only how rough it is, but you could tell when this ship tipped then, and all of the furniture goes sliding and things, and I thought... And I could hear somebody saying, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And uh, and I thought, "No, I'm not." But they weren't talking to me anyway. Uh, there was a pole there. There was a pole then in the middle of of this room that they were showing. And I thought, "Man, I'd be holding on to that pole." And pretty soon, you know, <laughs> this potted plant of some sort comes along, wham, hits that pole and wraps around. it. I thought, "Well, it's taking me out." Uh, you know. Th- th- you know, when when, when we're, we need to hold firmly, you hold firmly when things are rough. You hold firmly when things are dangerous, when you're scared. When you feel a little unstable, you hold firmly. You know, when you're on that roller coaster, I don't know about you, I'm holding firmly with everything that can hold. You know, I, have, I am not only holding firmly there, I have got my legs tucked under that seat trying to lock me down there. You know, I put super glue on my butt before I sit it. Not really, but I wouldn't. I just thought of it. I'm probably bringing some next time I go. But anyway, you you hold firmly when things are trouble, when when they're tough, when it's a little unstable. You know, and if you're going to be able to rejoice, when I look at all of these things here, what you need to realize is that you are still in process. We're not done growing yet. We're not what we were, but we are not done yet. We are not done yet. Verse 17, even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. You see, when you realize the connections with others you have who have a relationship with Christ, you know, and that you realize the attitude of Christ who held back the rights he had so he could die for your sin, and you realize that you are still in process, you are still growing in Christ, then you will be able to rejoice. Then you can rejoice, even in your struggles. Let's pray together.